spirituality, consciousness, health, and mindset. Welcome to the Ascend Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Chris Hopper. And I'm Dan Harrison. Together, we are all wisdom and knowledge. Hey, what is up everyone? This week on the Ascend podcast, we are joined by Will Johnson, who is a Buddhist teacher, and he is somebody who has been exploring the world of meditation, yoga, and breathing for over 30 years, and he has an absolute incredible wealth of knowledge, and he is also the author of several books. So, as you all know, we're living in a time where there's this weird dance that has taken place in our lives between two different forces. We turn on the news, and our minds are swept with stories of disaster and hate and on the other hand we are all playing in this love and expansion place of working on ourselves and feeling excited and incredible that we actually get to play and explore the human existence and we are all sort of playing in this middle of this weird dance and there's no getting away from it. However you listen to this podcast are fully aware of these two worlds that are playing alongside each other. However, there's sometimes, and I know with me as well, that you start looking around at other people and you notice that they cannot see the second world or this reality that is this sort of positive, hope-filled, beautiful utopia, whatever you want to call it, that we do see when you are fully in flow, you're educating yourself and you're in the space of seeking knowledge. So basically what I'm trying to say is that we all know that there's this new thing emerging and we can all feel it. And the balance of life is really starting to tip and the, ba- and the dance between the two worlds I was talking about a second ago that is dominated by fear and disaster is slowly t- tipping a hope and good in the world. And maybe that's just my sort of biased, pessimistic point of view, but there is certainly something emerging around us. And this is what I was actually thinking. Just let's let's paint a bit picture. Let's imagine if an ant was infected by a virus. Then that ant was then eaten by a spider and the virus was then passed to the spider. The spider was then eaten by a bird and the virus was passed to the bird and the bird's flying along somewhere and it's let's say it shits in someone's mouth. Then someone, then the human gets the virus, then someone sneezes or breathes on someone, then the virus goes to another human being, then they go to work, they pass the disease or virus to someone else, then they pass it to the kids, the kids go to school, they pass it to someone else, then bam, before you know it, everyone in the world is infected. So if that is possible, it must also be possible for the alternative effect, where the infection is actually a shift, a shift for the good, a shift that can actually shoot through society and positively spread a message across the planet. What could happen or be possible then? That is incredible. So anyway, just before we jump this one, I just wanted to say thanks so much to all incredible people over at Patreon who've decided to support the podcast. It really means a lot to us. And for anyone who hasn't yet decided to become a Patreon member, it would be amazing if you could just consider joining the Patreon community and supporting the podcast. And when you also become a Patreon member by donating whatever amount each month, even if it's only $2 a month, you will gain access to bonus content that is only available to Patreon subscribers. And on that Patreon page as well, we're constantly adding new, more and more new amazing bonus content. And one of them amazing bonus bonuses on the Patreon page as well is an incredible mindful practice that was actually recorded by this week's guest. 
that he actually did for you Patreon members, which is all about embodying and becoming human again. And Will kindly recorded that for you guys, and it's such an incredible guided mindful practice. So if you if that sort of tickles your fancy, that is available to all Patreon subscribers and and if you want to gain access to that and all the other podcasts and bonuses, all you need to do is sign up for any Patreon tier by going to the Ascend Podcast Patreon page. And if you can support the podcast, that is also absolutely fine. We understand and we just really appreciate the fact that you're listening to this thing. So anyway, in last week's outro, I actually mixed up on my dates. And sometimes I don't know where I am sometimes. Um, I lose track of time. But anyway, we're actually we're heading to the Mind Body Spirit Festival this weekend, not last weekend. So if all goes to plan, over the next few weeks, we'll have some incredible in-person podcasts for you all. And when we are at that conscious event, which is on the 3rd, the 4th and the 5th of November this month, which is actually is two days from now, we're now we're also going to be recording some live videos on the Ascend Facebook page. So if you haven't already liked the Send Facebook page, I would, I would recommend liking that if you want to check out some of the live videos that we're going to be doing when we're at the festival. And also as well, I'll be putting a lot of stuff and live videos on my own personal Instagram account, which is I am Dan Harrison. So anyway, without further ado, let's jump this one. Will Johnson, enjoy. went deep down the rabbit hole in terms of sort of Buddhist teachings and things like that and just to start this off as well and a question that me and Chris both really wanted to ask you I mean this is a question that's a bit different now there but can you can you really levitate and secondly if you can levitate can you give us sort of me, me and Chris a pill so we can do it as well I, I if you find that pill send it to me quick because <laughs> I want to take it as well <laughs> although you know what I will share and this is kind of interesting when I was a kid you know I'll take the question more than just uh, for the fun of what it was Uh, my one recurring dream is that I'd be walking down a street kind of suburban neighborhood and it would be at night there'd be nobody around and I'd feel suddenly that there was a spring in my step and the next thing I could kind of glide for about five feet and the next thing I could glide for about ten feet and then I'd put my two feet out in front of me and I'd glide for about 30 feet. And then the next thing I knew I was suspended up in the air and, and then eventually I would come down and I would leave the dream. Now that was the one recurring dream that I've ever had in my life. And the maddening thing about that dream is when I would wake up and realize it had just been a dream. It was very frustrating because I knew I could do that. So, uh, but in, uh, uh, on this plane, uh, uh, not even close, guys. <laughs> yeah. Like, like you said though, Will, you said it, it, it's just a dream. But is it just a dream? Because, like, just on this podcast as well, we've dug well in the dream realm, and um, me and Chris have both come to the conclusion, asked the question: Is it really a dream? What is a dream? <laughs> and you know, one of the places that I, you know, that I go to as well, or I certainly got into this in this last book that I wrote, Eyes Wide Open is this relationship, one, the relationship we have between, uh, you know, embodied experience and the visual field that mostly we conceive as existing separate uh, from ourselves. Now, I'm a big fan of 
at a very layperson uh, level of the quantum physicist David Bohm. And towards the end of his life, he uh, intuited that the whole of scientific inquiry was maybe looking not so much in the wrong direction, but only looking at half of the picture. And he came up with this notion that uh, th there are these two dimensions. There's the explicate order, you know, the world of form, that uh, objects that we're so familiar with. But he also said there was a fundamental ground dimension, what he called the implicate order that was kind of like a source of light that creates holographic images that out of this source of light, you know, we know with holography, you get a source of light and you can project fairly decent looking three-dimensional images. And his uh, notion was that what we call quote-unquote reality, you know, this world of physical form, is in a sense a kind of uh, projected dream out of this fundamental source dimension. Now look, that's what the Buddha says as well. The Buddha says, look upon this world as a dream, as a bubble, as a, uh, you know, a phantasm. Uh, something like that. And then you get into things like the Heart Sutra that r really reflect that exactly. They say there's form, but there's emptiness. And both of those are, you know, manifestations of the same thing. So there are a lot of times that I look upon what most of us would call reality, this world of visual physical form, as a kind of strange sort of dream or uh, projected uh, uh, you know, virtual, you know, reality. And it gets fascinating when I do that because then it makes it easier to kind of melt down into, well, this experience that I call the great wide open, uh, you know, this world of, uh, uh, of presence, which is both very spacious and, uh, uh, you know, very palpable. So, you know, that's kind of a fascinating thing. And I'll add one more thing before we move on here. Where my inquiry as a young man started in my 20s was that it struck me as particularly peculiar and bizarre that we look at one another and we recognize each other by your very solid looking face and body. That's who you are. But we don't experience ourselves as particularly solid. You know, there is this kind of strange sense of, I don't know what you call it, space that hovers uh, in and around the physical body or permeates the physical body so that we have these two dimensions, the one of the form and the other of this underlying wide open, great wide open spatial uh, dimension. For me, a lot of what the practices are all about are realizing the, frankly, the dual reality of both those dimensions and the ability to, in a sense, function simultaneously uh, in both of them, so we're we're off we're off to a flying start here. Oh, it's very interesting when you've seen about that because um, there's a lot of also there's a lot of physicists talk about now how like you just to back up what you were saying there as well how actually reality is sort of being constructed in our mind and our minds are creating sort of like a holographic sort of universe to a sense, and it's very interesting as well because um, just to, to combat what you said before as well we had um, I think I'm not too sure if it was Dennis McKenna on the podcast or. Uh -huh. um, I think it might be Tom Campbell who talks about the simulation theory, but he he one of them made a point where he says that in life, when you were when you were before when you were describing objects and things like that, talks about how we've never actually even touched any object, any physical object in the universe. Anyway, like you were saying, there's always space in between every single object within the universe. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, you know that's fascinating. Now, now from 
uh, you know, who I am and how I, you know, go about this. Uh, uh, I, to be honest, I'm a little light in terms of, you know, the current scientific, you know, understanding and knowledge. You know, I'm in awe of, you know, all of those people who have these kinds of understanding and we're figuring out that there's a lot more than meets the eye that's going on here. For me, it, you know, it really comes from more the experiential level. And a lot of, you know, what that is in terms of what we're just talking about here starting off is that ordinarily we believe who we are, who I am is this entity, in my case named Will, who's somehow kind of poured into this physical body like milk into a carton, right? And everything inside this physical body is exclusively me, and everything that exists outside is separate or other than me. So there's this fundamental notion of, you know, of separation. And then you get into, uh, uh, you know, philosophies like Advaita Vedanta to talk about the non-dual state, or I talk about the great wide open. Rumi talks about union, consciousness. So a lot of, uh, lately it seems, in the last couple of years, or certainly where the retreats within the Buddhist world that I teach seem to end up, is this place of uh, playing with this relationship that we have to the visual field and no longer experiencing it as other or separate from or outside, but it's almost as though the visual field and the embodied presence and the field of sounds, the three of those start merging. And when that happens, to me, it's kind of like, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, fall through the rabbit hole, that uh, a crack uh, appears and we enter into this, what I experience as our fundamental birthright condition of embodied presence. There's no longer this quality of separation between you know, self and the visual field, and there's just a kind of coterminous uh, merging. And, and what I'm talking about is actual palpable experience, not just uh, uh, you know high-flown you know concept. And for me, it is the uh, the dissolving, frankly, and the surrender, the no longer fighting against that, uh, dissolving into that kind of unified uh, condition, that th that's where bodies are comfortable. And that's where, you know, the quality of consciousness that, we, you know, we refer to as spiritual. But to me, it's just, that's the natural state. That's the natural embodied consciousness where one, bodies are happy, and two, a lot of the struggles and the pain and the suffering you know, really just uh, go pop, they you know, evaporate in, in those moments, you know, so long as we can stay immersed in them. And the reality is, or certainly from my perspective, is that I go in and out of that, in and out of that, in and out of that, uh, th you know, thousands of times a day. I have this experience of this kind of embodied merging. And then the next thing I know, you know, what happens, the mind, you know, the unbidden random thought parade of the mind it comes in kind of like a thief in the night, steals away the awareness, and then I'm, boom, plunk back out again, right into the world of separation. I am this entity named Will, poured into this body, separate from everything outside. But it starts, once you have the experiential perspective of this condition of union, if you want to call it that, the perspective of separation, frankly, just starts feeling really painful. 
Yeah, I, lo- I love that, by the way. And uh, Will, a question from that as well. I love that point you made there. Very deep as well. And um, I was actually wondering, do you actually ever sort of experiment with that in your life, with that, that sort of awareness? I mean, do you sort of play with that? Because, I mean, something that I do in my life as well is I, I use the tapping at the sort of the, the quint one of um, thought of how sort of I not understand that me thought, how they can create me own, how they can create my reality. But do you ever sort of like play with that sort of that awareness that you were talking about there and sort of try maybe sort of challenge that sort of the, the bigger sort of pulls that is playing in the universe and things like that? Yeah, I, I play with it constantly. That's actually... You know, my practice, now look, I differentiate between what I call my formal practices. I do a lot of uh, very bodily oriented sitting uh, and breathing practices. I like doing a lot of very physical uh, movement uh, practices. Those are kind of my formal practices. But then there's the whole rest of the day. And uh, every single moment, we are frankly challenged or asked to make a choice. What are we going to do with this moment? Are we going to continue to, in a sense, buy in to the quality of consciousness that passes as normal in the world at large, which is very disembodied. Uh, it's, you know, typified by being lost in thought, lost in this unbidden, random parade of thought, and totally out of touch, literally blanketing over so that we don't feel, we're not aware of, the, you know, the shimmer, the feeling presence of uh of body once it's accepted and felt into. So do I buy into that? Look, that's common. That's normal. That's where we all hang out now. And look, there's nothing wrong with that condition of consciousness. It's just, uh, you know, very limited and, you know, ultimately, you know, unsatisfactory. Or do I, you know, remember to, oh, there I am. I've gone off in my mind again. Okay. Thank you, mind, for reminding me that I've forgotten, that I've lost awareness, that I'm blanketing over the sensations of my body, that I'm holding back on the breath that is potential uh, in this moment, that I've gone still and frozen. Uh, and you know, for me, the, I, I said earlier, I, you know, I think I probably go in and out of this thousands and thousands of times uh, you know, a day. Now, Bohm actually suggested that's what we do. We go back and forth constantly between the explicate order of form and the implicate order of this ground uh, uh, dimension. But, you know, certainly that's where, that's where the practice has gotten for me uh, now, guys. I, I, I can no longer pretend that if I'm not paying attention to the kind of things that we're talking about here, that I'm not going to be uh, furthering contributing to the tension in body uh, and mind and the consequent separation from this fundamental birthright condition that's available to all of us. Uh, well, I was, I was actually thinking all the way through that and I was thinking like about how deeply connected you are to your own mind, body and spirit and I think it's a beautiful essence of what you actually bring in. I mean, I, you're elevating my consciousness right as you speak and I was actually thinking about this question. Like, Do you think at this point in your life, Will, do you think? Do you feel like more of a disconnection to like from society, or do you feel more connected due to this deeper understanding? Yeah, well, that's that's very interesting. Uh, you know, a couple of things to say about that. First of all, what I like people to know, because oftentimes people will listen to me or hear or read my books or the kind of things that I'm talking about, and they go, "Oh, well, you know, that guy was probably born that way, and I wasn't. I I was." 
totally not in my body as a, uh, a young kid. I am not a body person by birth at all. So that the kind of things that came to me, you know, the awakening of uh, uh, the awareness of body as a unified field of, of shimmer, of felt tactile presence and sensation, you know, through a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, uh, really. And, and then, you know, what starts happening, you know, what I think you might be alluding to, there are many times when, you know, I wander around and, you know, I walk through a city and, you know, I can't read thoughts or I can't hear what people are thinking, but it's totally clear to me now when I look at people to see how they're lost in thought and out of touch with the kind of dimensions that we're talking about. Uh, I, I, you know, I do, I love, uh, I love people and I love connecting as much as I can. But the reality for me is that sometimes it can feel kind of lonely. And I, uh, you know, I kind of feel like, uh, you know, the, uh, the Heinlein book, stranger in a strange land. I, I, I can feel that, uh, you know, you just see that, uh, uh, and I, I, you know, I'm talking about really, you know, good, normal people, not the insane, crazy stuff that's going on on the planet now. But to the degree that we're locked in our minds and identifying with the contents of our minds, you, you know, we all have the same name for ourselves. We call ourselves I. I is the speaker of the internal involuntary monologue. And to the degree that we're identified with that, you know, I see us living in a kind of dream, divorced from this fundamental ground dimension uh, of reality that's available to all of us. So, yeah, I feel more connected to people and I feel more, uh, you know, kind of like I'm a stranger walking in this strange land. Resonate with that, by the way, Will, as well. And I think me and Chris as well, we have them thoughts as well quite often where we are walking down the street. And I have them quite often where you walk down the street and you're just like looking around at the world and thinking like, what, what's everyone doing as well? Like, what, what are we all doing? But as well, when you were saying before as well, how a lot of people aren't aware of this sort of larger reality. But even at a, a point in my, my life for me and Chris, we were at a stage and probably for you as well, Will, Will, where you weren't sort of aware of this larger reality as well. And there's something that does spark and wake you up that, to that larger reality in your mind. But I was actually wondering from that question, I mean, do you think that we are all actually sort of seeking sort of enlightenment or on a journey to become enlightened without really knowing it? Or is it actually possible that sort of we're actually already enlightened, sort of just plain in a human experience? Well, yeah, uh, a couple of things to say about that. You know, what we call the enlightened state, it's here. It's here right now. It's here for the taking, but you have to take it. And it's not something, as far as I can tell at this point, from you know the amounts of experience or glimpses that I've had, it's not so much that we have to fabricate it or create it because it's already here. What we have to do or the task at hand that's facing all of us is to let go of the, uh, the tension, the holding patterns, the barriers that keep this absolutely most natural uh, dimension uh, unavailable, uh, un, unfelt, you know, we're, we're, un, you know, we're just simply unaware of it. Now, I do feel that, on, you know, look at the force of evolution, I think, as, uh, you know, moving in the direction of these, uh, you know, you know, very evolutionarily transformed dimensions, uh, you know, in a kind of embodied consciousness. You know, having said that, the force of evolution works very slowly. And yes, it's true. Uh, 
within the uh, just the time on on this planet that we've all been born into. I mean, it's fairly extraordinary that the acceleration is really occurring, for, and, and we have so many different uh, uh, sources that are uh, you know that are helping us that are you know forcing us to accelerate. Now, look, having said that, uh, I'm I'm a kind of obsessive fanatic about the value of formal practices. Um, and specifically practices designed to wake up the body because we're literally out of touch with, uh, you know, you know, with embodied presence to, you know, wake that up. Uh, once we wake that up, uh, you know, perhaps we start experiencing that there is this, kind of this streamlike quality, uh, a flow of the current of the life force, that, that if we can align ourselves to that, you know, that becomes like a bullet train. It can really accelerate, uh, you know, process. So, you know, an answer to it, I think you were asking, yeah, you know, it's happening whether we want to uh, participate in it or not. But, you know, I, I, I do, you know, tragically believe that most of us, we still understandably, completely understandably, have bought into this quality of consciousness that passes as normal in the world at large, which is itself a defense against opening into letting go, surrendering into the kind of very natural, you know, dimensions that, you know, that we're talking about here today. It's like, um, for me anyway, on my journey, it's, it's sort of like everyone sort of, like we're all sort of, the, the way that life's set up, it's sort of, it's actually sort of set up in a way to sort of try and make you realize that. That's what I find anyway. And um, it's just in qu a quote as well that comes to my mind. Uh, I think it's called Peel Teal Hardy Teal Teal Hardy called sorry. And he talks about how he says that we're not human beings having a spiritual experience. He says we're spiritual beings having a human experience. And that that really sums up what you just said there. And I think it's about sort of connecting to that and really sort of understanding that we are all the same. We just need to tap into it, like you were saying. But a question from that as well. I mean. Do you actually think it's sort of possible to sort of be in sort of, I know this is a sort of a bit of a, a broad sense of a word, and enlightened, but do you actually sort of think it's possible to be enlightened and live in a world to, like like we live in today? I'll quote my oldest son on that, and he is fond of saying that if my dad can do this, anybody can do it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, guys, it's challenging. You, you know, uh, uh a lot of the time, I, I remember oh, a number of months ago, I read something, someone was saying that they were uh, really challenged by uh, uh, how to balance out their need to stay informed about what's happening in the world and their need to stay sane. That uh, uh, I know a number of months ago, you know, I was getting very plugged in and, you know, very upset to the insanity that's going on on our planet right now and so many different, you know, locations and so many, so many different levels. And I know then my youngest son, he said, Dad, take a fast from, you know, looking at the news. And I did for about a couple of weeks. I just didn't, you know, I put my head in the sand and I didn't watch uh, all the different news networks to get all the different, you know, perspectives. And, uh, you know, I found that that actually worked for me at the same time. I felt that, you know, maybe as a, cause look, 
both perspectives are real. We are this ground dimension, this great wide open. We are also individual human beings on a journey from birth to death, you know, living in this world of separation. And I know within the Hindu uh, models, they talk about, much like what Bohm talks about, or the Heart Sutra, there's the Brahman, the greater reality that we want to dissolve ourselves into. And then there's the Maya, the world of form, that they translate as the world of illusion, or the Buddha talked about it as a dream. I prefer not to think of it as illusion, something that only you know a spiritual lowlife would be interested in, but, but that both of the dimensions we somehow have to square with, uh, you know, with our experience of being alive in this passage that we have, uh, you, you know, on the planet from our, uh, you know, from our birth to our death. But I'm not going to sit here and pretend that, oh, yeah, you know, I can read the news and uh, what's going on in, uh, in the world of ISIS and American politics, and I'm not affected. You know, I'm, be I'm above it uh, all. You know, I'm not. It's deeply disturbing you know it's happening on our planet and i think all of us all of us in our own way have to figure out how to you know square that need to stay part of this dimension of reality but not to you know lose sight that ultimately like uh, you're saying or uh, you know teller de chardin was saying we are spiritual beings having a human uh, experience let's somehow get better at uh, staying in touch with that, uh, you know, that essential nature, that it's just that natural dimension at the very center of our center, but somehow be able to, you know, float through the uh, the insanity that's, uh, you know, that's all around us. I love that, by the way, and I think as well, like you said, that ability to, like, the, it's sort of like a dance, that balance to sort of stay in touch with what's going on in the world, but also like tap into your own practices that's what I sort of got from what you were saying there but when you were when you when you said when your son sort of I think this is what I, if I'm correct what I heard you say you said that your son said totally to sort of like have a detox from sort of what is going on on the outside sort of uh, reality that you sort of can't control I mean but when you did do that because when I sort of do practices like that because I like to sort of I, I'm someone who likes to sort of hone, hone away from the news and media and sort of things like that. But what, what that ability what allows me to do, and I think uh, the Buddhist philosophy talks about this, and they talked called it, I think, the awakened mind. But for me, anyway, it's sort of the ability to sort of recognize them sort of habitual patterns that we have in our lives and things like that. And but what then when when you were saying about how you, you sort of stepped away from sort of think uh, step stepped away from the news and things like that, did that actually sort of because for me, anyway, the way I like to say it is sort of like an astronaut perspective of the mind. That's what I like to call it. So I always like to ha give myself that astronaut perspective where you can sort of zoom away from your own mind and you can observe your own patterns. I mean, would, did you, would you say that when you did sort of step away from the news and things like that, did that actually allow you to sort of analyse your habitual patterns better and sort of allow you to sort of tap into the sort of astronaut, astronaut mind perspective of yourself? Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know. I know what my son was starting to see. And I look at I openly admit, I was getting bothered. And, you know, to be bothered is to get right, plunk yourself right back in to that dimension of mind that uh, a lot of the practices, for me anyway, are designed to pull a plug on. Right. So, you know, during those periods and, and, and I go I'll, I'll go in and out of this. I, you know, I would find that 
it was kind of a blessed relief. Now look, I also realize how blessed and how fortunate I am that I'm living uh, at a time on the planet and in a place on the planet that is relatively safe, that I have a lot of uh, personal freedom. I know, know you guys know that uh, my wife Coco and I, we, uh, we've moved down to Costa Rica now because we wanted to live in big nature and just get away from the, uh, you know, the insanity that, you know, seems to be, uh, you know, going on uh, all around us. You know, the one thing that, that I mostly noticed about my news fast that went on, I don't know if it was 10 days or two weeks, I was a lot more productive. And what I mean by that, it wasn't that I was not watching, you know, the news come over my computer screen for that half hour a day, so I had a half hour more time. It was way beyond that. I found that really removing myself, even if momentarily from that dimension, I was able to get so much more done. I was working on another writing project. Uh, uh, my practices went deeper. I, I, it, it's a really interesting conversation that we're having. I don't have any kind of clear answer on that because I don't think that just sticking our heads in the sand is going to be helpful and especially those of us who are you know stumbling upon it or working towards you know developing a little more enlightened consciousness it's you know folks like us that the planet needs right now i i i, I don't have an answer you know you know i'm not probably the most uh, you know the best person to talk to about this i i've removed myself but i'm you know i do i like to stay in touch in this way that we're doing right now i like to stay in touch with the teaching that I do and the uh, books, uh, you know, that I write. But it's also, uh, you know, to be honest, my system's gotten really sensitive and I have to, I have to take some, uh, you know, some care to, uh, to keep doing what I need to do. You know, I joke only half facetiously that in, you know, the morning uh, Coco and I get up and we usually do a couple hours at least of practices and then maybe I'll, if I'm working on a writing project, I spend a couple more hours doing that. And then we start entering into my days. And if days occur in which I miss doing my practices, and look, it happens, right? But on those days, it almost, I sometimes talk about it as, oh, those were days that I forgot to take my meds. And, you know, we all, we all know people or we've been around people who need to be on uh, you know, medications just to level themselves out. Now, you know, that's, you know, I'm using that as, you know, a metaphor. But for me, on days when I miss doing my practices, uh-uh, I feel the crunch coming in uh, again a bit more uh, strongly. And I'm not able to ride through the, you know, the, the dream state of the everyday world as gracefully as I can on those days that are more oriented towards having these formal practices that I that I'm so drawn to, you know, like a moth to a flame. Having those practices then support the informal time of the uh, rest of the day that I want to engage with people, that I want to, you know, walk through uh, the world and you know touch into uh, you know this dimension of physical reality. There's absolutely loads to touch on there, Will, and there really is some absolute powerhouses of, of thought topics. And uh, 
I just like to go back to when you and Dan were actually talking about the news because I have an uh, an insight as well, and I think what you and uh, what, yeah your son and Dan was actually referring to when you kind of detox your way from the news. I know you've done it a lot longer than two weeks, Dan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I've actually got a little different perspective on it, but it's like it's obviously my perspective, but I obviously chime in whether you both wanted. But um, I feel like if we can get to a point where we actually need to like turn off the news like we're, we're kind of putting like an emphasis on our mind that we don't trust our mind whereas I think if we actually enforce like not enforce if we actually do watch the news but we can see it from our own perspective we're actually gaining trust in the mind and I think that's a def- very interesting point in itself and I think if we're letting the media actually take control of like limited like weakened minds then are we actually like losing who we are by just putting our heads in the sand as like you said before I mean shouldn't we be standing up to like these like media moguls and actually putting our spin on like these stories and giving our own perspectives like us we can put an enlightened touch on them and we don't really need to fear the news we don't need to fear anything in life and I think when we're actually like detoxing from the news we're really detoxing and we're adding a fear we aren't fear-based creatures inside we are like enlightened beings spiritual beings and we should seek to enlighten the masses as well and that from this like media of distrust and dishonesty i'll just jump in there sorry i just want to jump in there i just want to say something on that because um i loved uh, chris's point how he said that and I, I really resonated what chris said as well and i just want to say a bit on it because i had something in mind and it, i was want to say as well i think the i think we the subconscious mind's a very interesting thing and i don't think we fully understand it so i think for me anyway on my in my journey is like i know how i know how wild the mind is and I know that on the within the human experience, no one really fully understands how what is the power of the subconscious mind and how we're being affected and things like that. And I know as well in the future on this podcast, we're actually getting a, a hypnotist on the podcast as well. And he, we've already done a bit of research in him, and he talks about how the media already understands the psychology of the human mind and how they can actually sort of influence sort of people's thinking and thinking and things like that. So I think to a certain degree, I think it is good good initially to sort of uh, pull yourself pull your being away from that and. Because with that understanding that we don't know what's going on in the mind, and uh, my second point as well, just two seconds, because I want to pull my second point as point, but I forgot what I was going to say now. Yeah, yeah, you, you know it, what I could add here, and then, then maybe it'll come back yeah, to we'll uh, you guys. I I really agree with what uh, Chris is saying, and to be honest, uh, I feel that sometimes my need to unplug from what's going on in the world, I feel it's kind of elitist i feel it's uh uh you know i, I it, it's not one of you know the features of my behavior that i uh feel happy about or proud about i do find though that for me it's still occasionally necessary at the you know the evolutionary uh, uh level of consciousness that i'm uh you know functioning at now i was going to ask you Dan, because it sounds like you've really uh, unplugged. How are how are you finding that? I, I mean, there's obviously benefits, but then there's this whole notion of it's not guys like you both, you know, or someone like me, or all the people who are drawn to listening to a podcast like this, who are uh, speaking out and making our voices heard. Uh, you know that doesn't seem to be uh, a responsible way of uh, acknowledging that, yeah, I'm not just the great wide open. I also am an incarnated uh, being within the, you know, the dream of this physical realm. So it's really interesting, uh, you know, what you're 
raising here, and you really have forced me to take uh, you know take a look at that you know myself too. I don't know. I don't know what your guys' thoughts are about that. Yeah, I love that will as well, and it is it is a very it is a hard balance to manage. And like Chris was saying, I'm someone who does sort of detox completely from the media and things like that. But it is like I said, it, it there is something like within my subconscious mind which I know. Like I said before, we don't fully understand the subconscious mind, and there is things that does sort of slip into that awareness. Like even if I do completely detox myself from that reality, I still feel every now and again there'll be something that slips in there. So I think it's we're living in a world now where you can't fully control that and like Chris said as well just to jump on Chris's point to try and jump back what he said before like I, I love his point where he says that we need to strengthen our own minds so that when we do watch the news and things like that we can sort of combat it and that's what I think if that does slip into my subconscious mind know me as a person now I can combat, combat that because I know myself as a person and, and something else I want to touch on that as well before as well because I remembered my point what I want to say before but um, it's interesting because Chris said, um, like you said, we need to understand that we are powerful beings and things like that. And I, but I think we're in a time now where, like you said, with podcasts and things like that, where people are understanding that they, they want something alternative and they want something different and understanding that we are in control of our reality. Because it's what's interesting to me as well, I read a figure somewhere that I think it was something like Fox News or something like that has... I think it has 1.1 million, 1 million people tuning in. I'm probably wrong on this. I'm probably butchering it, but it's around this anyway. 1 million people every month tuning into Fox News, I think it was, and their CNN. But, however, there was 1.5 million people downloaded one of Joe Rogan's podcasts. Uh, uh. So so that's so that's just, and that was only for one episode. So that says to me that there is a big shift happening where people are really pushing the boundaries and understanding that the media really isn't the media, and, and people are looking for an alternative source of information. And I think that's where the yeah. times are changing. Well, that's encouraging, and it's you know it's certainly hopeful. And what you were you know saying uh, earlier, these images that we're exposing ourselves to are very, very potent. And, you know, it's almost like the media knows how to, you know, play upon, uh, or, you know, if you want to call it a weakness, that, you know, an image uh, appears on the screen and it goes it goes in, it goes in. Now, how do we deal with that? I, you know, I really hear what you guys are saying and, and, and I agree, a lot of the practice is not holding on to anything, just letting it come in and go through, letting it come in, pass away, letting it come in and go through. It's also, it's, it's very, it's, it's a difficult practice. Yeah. I, and yeah. I, I, you know, I know what I was going to say. I do, uh, periodically I like doing, uh, fasting, you know, uh, 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 you know, not eating solid food for, you know, many days at a time or, you know, doing colon cleanses or things like that. I find those practices very helpful and supportive. So yeah, periodic periodically it seems for me anyway, I just, you know, I just need to do that and uh you know, uh let's let's you know just stay hopeful and keep uh, you know, look, keep putting out the best energies we possibly can because just as those negative images are impactful, so are the kind of positive Im- images and energies that we can radiate and that in my way is kind of the best way that I feel that I can maybe help things out point by the way what you made there and uh, I was actually wanting to say this as well um, I think I think as well like, um, I know what Dan's resonating with about when he's talking about how deep the subconscious is and how much it takes in literally everything but I think as well though we can also train our subconscious to take in 
what we'll be using the conscious and i think what we're going to be taking in is the stuff that's going to elevate us as a human being especially if you're trained in the such as context like you are dan and you are will and i am we're actually trained to take in what's useful and discard this like negative so i think we should actually begin to trust our subconscious as well and i think when you get to this point when you because when i watch the media now because I've trained my subconscious, I've trained my conscious mind, and I can see a lot of the trickery and the illusion because I've studied it, like what the media play. And once you've seen the trickery and the, and the illusions that they play, they become a lot weaker. It's like right. it's like you've studied right. your opponent for so long, you see every move that they're gonna gonna play. And when you're in that state of mind, like a music video just ends up like being a music video. A news article just looks like a news article, but you can dissect it to your own workings and that's when you can carve out your correct, most like positive spin on it, which can impact society in a much better way. And I think I think what we need to do is like at the end, we need to trust our minds completely and especially when we get to the point where it like trained our mind to this point. And I think that's a point I just want to Yeah, well, I'll just jump in there as well because I had another point I want to see on that. And uh, I love I love that point that Chris said, by the way, as well. And like like Chris knows me as a person. I'm someone who I do, like Chris knows me very well because we're best friends and he knows I have a very strong mind. And just to paint a bit of context around what I'm going to say, like I'm somebody who is, I know the influence of all, all these advertisements of seeing that you need to eat this food and how much sort of flashy sort of, unhealthy foods are being thrown in front of our thrown in front of our faces and i've went through a period in my life where for three and a half years i haven't ate anything bad at all like completely nothing no added chemicals no added ingredients anything and I, i've manufactured a very strong strong mind around that and it's for me anyway to not go too far into it, it's not actually something that i really have to think about it's just something that's become a part of us but right. um when chris was saying about how like i, I fully agree fully 100 percent agree what chris was saying about how um, we need to train our subconscious mind and not allow them thoughts in but for me, anyway, on my journey is, even with that story where I said understanding how powerful my subconscious mind is, I still know that, looking back on my life, um, last few years, there were certain realities and certain new beliefs and new theories that I couldn't see a year ago, and now I can see them. So I'm actually asking the question is, I know that I don't know fully, fully, un- I don't fully understand how powerful my subconscious mind is. So I'm asking the question is, what can I actually not see about the subconscious mind that things are affecting us? Yeah, well, you know, so so much of what you guys are sharing, you know, resonate with me as well. And one of the most basic tenets of psychotherapeutic theory is that first of all, you have to become aware of what your issue is or your problem is before you can let it go or change it, right? And then I think what's happening to obviously. Uh, the number of people, you know, the kind of people who are going to listen to a podcast like this, right? We're evolving to a place where we're able to start making freer, more conscious decisions of what we want to uh, bring into our lives, what we want to introduce into our bodies, and, you, you know, what we don't, even though it's all around us, it's bombarding us, the, uh, you know, the quality of consciousness that passes is normal in the world at large. It's a very, very strong uh, force. It has a very, very strong gravitational pull. But then, I mean, I mean, you know, why is it? I don't know why that there seem to be increasingly larger numbers of people on the planet. Like you're saying, all the people that are listening to Joe Rogan's, uh, uh, you know, podcast, the people that are drawn to doing meditation practices, yoga practices, different kinds of uh, uh, what we call spiritual, uh, you know, oriented 
uh, you know, practices. It's certainly an idea whose time has come now evolu from an evolutionary level. I just think maybe that evolutionary force is here, uh, uh, I, I want to say helping us or guiding us. Well, it's really pushing at us from the inside out. Uh, so, you know, I tend to be hopeful that way, as I say, from, you know, my perspective, I'm a big believer in people doing conscious, intentional practices that are designed in some ways just to wake us up, to help, you know, free us from being, you know, having kind of robotic uh, responses or reactions to stimuli or input so that we can, you know, this is really what we've been talking about for the last little while. So we can maybe get to a place where it's okay, I can watch and see what's happening, but it's not going to completely so take me out, and I'm not going to get so sucked into it that I'm going to lose uh, that place that we were talking about at the beginning of our conversations here, where we do have a natural and fundamental access to you know these states of essential uh, nature because you know that's really what the work is what we're trying to do we're trying to get in touch with that ourselves and then out of that start you know sharing and just being and functioning in the world and I think as well that's maybe what I was thinking there maybe that's why we're here because we're we have actually we're here to have that ability to recognize actually who we are really deep down in our like in our hearts who we are as people and. Um, before as well, just want to touch back a point as well. You were saying before because I, I wrote a little note down, but you were talking about um, you, you were talking about the ability to sort of dance between the two worlds when we're talking about sort of balance and sort of media and then balancing your own sort of practices like stepping away from it. And um, you said the you talked about you said the words sort of not just sort of sticking our heads in the sand and things like that. And you said, and for me that resonated thinking like saying because I know in the old sort of uh, philosophies a lot of people talk about how. In the past, how like sort of Zen masters masters would sort of would go away and sort of isolate themselves and they'll yeah. take, take themselves away from sort of um, society and things like that. But just a bit of a question from that. I mean, I don't like I'm with you, like you said before. I don't think that's right. I think you need to put yourself in the heart of it. But I mean, do you think this is a bit of a different question from this? But do you actually think there's there's, there's a sort of a possibility that there is sort of awakened sort of beings living a day that sort of don't make themselves known public? Oh, you know, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think, frankly, I think that's where the action is, not so much making a big display of, uh, oh, I'm someone who's had these kinds of awarenesses and openings. Now I want you all to come and study with me. Now, look, I, I never set out to do that. But in some ways, you know, I've written all these books, and that's kind of what, uh, you, you know, what naturally happened. But, you know, look, none of the the openings that are available to human beings, you know, make us one iota better than, you know, any other person. And I often say that any kind of self-aggrandizements, uh, you know, certainly on the spiritual path, they're like uh, uh, what I call a kryptonite to Superman. You, you guys have Superman in the uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> kingdom, you know, a kryptonite comes to Superman, he loses all of his powers. And any kind of self-aggrandizement about how spiritually advanced I am, that, that just keeps you ensconced in the world of separation, separating yourself, making a distinction between who you are and someone else. And, you know, the other thing, we, we mentioned this earlier, uh, I, I don't actually resonate that much 
with this whole uh, Hindu notion that Brahman is where it's at, you, you know, the, the fundamental essential nature that we're talking about that, that we're so drawn to. And that, uh, you know, if you're interested in the world of form, you're some kind of, I used the phrase earlier, a spiritual lowlife. I, I don't get that. You know, I, I really feel that somehow we, you know, our challenge, you know, within our practice realm, sure, you know, we've maybe been so drawn out into the world of form that we have to balance that out by doing long, intensive practices that take us back inside into, uh, you know, these, you know, the inner fundamental uh, dimensions of, you know, the natural state. But ultimately, you don't want to get any more uh, claustrophobically lodged within the great wide open than, uh, you know, we are totally fixated on the world outside of ourselves and losing uh, feeling awareness and dimensions of, you, you know, who we are. Ultimately, it's, I really do see that. And that's what I was getting into is this last book, Eyes Wide Open, about this blending merger of uh, sensation, visual field, and sound, that those are not uh, dimensions that support our notion of separation, but that we can open to this. And if we truly do open to this, then we start you know, merging. And so we're living uh, in the Sufis have this statement of living in this world, but not of it. And I think that's kind of what we're, you know, maybe getting to as an ideal. Look, having said that, it's tricky. Uh, you know, it's tricky business. And, you know, I'm also thinking of, for example, in the beginning, most Buddhist teachers, when you start doing meditation practice, they tell you to close your eyes. And, you know, the benefit of that is that we're usually so drawn out into the visual field outside of ourselves that we lose literal touch with the universe inside that's every bit as elaborate as the world of physical form and visual form outside of ourselves. But, you know, we don't want to stay uh, lodged or locked into the world with our eyes closed any more than we want to be drawn out into the, uh, you know, the visual field that ultimately we want the inner and the outer to get merged somehow or that's when that occurs for me those are the moments of beatitude or blessing when i go ah you know thank you although as soon as they go ah thank you i've lost it again right you know you can't comment on it you just have to you know open into it uh and you know experience it yeah and it, it, everything you're talking about there as well to me will there resonate to my mind it's sort of like a, a this sort of constant like we've been talking about for this podcast this constant sort of balance or or dance in life in the um, thought that I've had in my head as well that just resonated with my mind when you said that it's, it's interesting to me we've sort of come out of sort of we've sort of come out with something or nothing to a sense whatever you want to call it for this sort of a blip of a second into this sort of human experience that we're now and we'll have sort of the suit we are like to see it I always play with this in my mind but we sort of have body we'll have our body we'll have sort of our emotions um we'll have like lust and desires and fears whatever it is and we're kind of sort of the human experience we're sort of caught in these two different worlds where we sort of know that the the beauty of life to a sense is sort of going to like going to dissolve and go away but on the other set sense the sort of the novel novelty of the experience on the other hand is there and it's this constant sort of everything in life is this sort of yin and yang yin and yang and this sort of constant battle in the mind and I mean, do you ever have them sort of like? Do you ever go down them deep rabbit holes where you sort of think that, think think about the novelty versus sort of that every everything one day is just going to like cease to exist? Oh, he, 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 all the time. That's too strong a statement. But you know, there are times when 
you know, I work with these practices and, you know, I know that I'm not manipulating my experience. What I'm doing is simply continuing to let go and to, to surrender to the force of sensation, to the force of breath. And the more I do that, it's like, it's kind of like going on a float trip. Uh, on the river of your embodied soul and, and you're around corners that are very interesting and sometimes uh, bizarre and sometimes frightening and sometimes extraordinarily wonderful. But it's, you know, a way of just accepting, you, you know, all of it and, ju- you know, just trusting in the, you know, the wisdom uh, of this process. But absolutely, it involves both dimensions. And again, I go back to the Heart Sutra. They say that form and emptiness are just simply different reflections of the other, uh, you know, dimension. So it's not all form. It's not all emptiness, but it's, you know, all the same thing. And look, you talk about the, uh, you know, the rabbit hole, uh, and certainly in the work that I do and the teaching that I do, uh, you know, a lot of the teaching that I do, I feel that the most strongest, the strongest instruction that I give is simply to give people permission to open in this way because we have so much taboo against this kind of letting go into the kinds of dimensions that we're alluding to here through uh, the podcast that are nonetheless our natural state. Tragically, those dimensions have been made strangely taboo within what I call the somatophobic, uh, you know, culture that, uh, uh, our culture views this world of uh, feeling presence that once it gets stimulated, it just goes, it just expands, uh, uh, you know, forever. And, you know, how strange the rabbit hole becomes, what I was wanting to get to here, yes. It's important to awaken the experience of body as a unified field of shimmering tactile uh, sensations, you know, these minute little pinprick uh, blips of sensation that exist on all parts of the body when we're lost in thought, we do, we're not aware of those. So we shift that focus, we become aware of them. And then suddenly the whole body uh, literally lights up and wakes up. And, you know, we're swimming in this dimension of shimmer. Well, it, it, it is, it's a wonderful awakening that occurs. But it, but there, there's more dimensions of the rabbit hole to go down, as wonderful it is to awaken into this awareness of body as the unified field of shimmering, sensational, literally sensational uh, presence. And there's there's so much uh, grace that comes with that and a real shift, a very, very natural and spontaneous shift in consciousness. As you keep surrendering, you keep surrendering deeper and deeper. And I've gotten to places where I realize that this a free flow of the life force or the, you know, the dimension of shimmer, whatever it is. It's not just my sensations. It's actually this great ground of being, the Mahamudra ground state, the uh, the great wide open, whatever you want to call it, uh, kind of knocking on each of our personal doors. You know, it's looking for bodies to use as conduits to manifest uh, on this physical plane, you know, that we all have to, in a sense, uh, you know, open to this this dimension and then be beacons to others. People need to see this. People need to see humans 
that are, you know, that have shed the taboo against experiencing ourselves as what we fundamentally are. And, you know, be around that to, well, again, there is another uh, impactful, uh, you know, form and image that's going to affect that person's uh, mind, body, and, uh, you know, their consciousness. And once we can experience that that's possible as well, uh, you know, that to me, that to me gets important. That, that's what I feel is, you know, maybe the most, you know, generous and loving thing we can do. You know, look, uh, you know, some of us are going to be more politically active than others. I've, for whatever reason, that just hasn't been, you know, who I've, uh, I've been. Certainly, you know, I resonate with a lot of the, uh, you know, the political struggles, you know, that go on. But I've never been particularly good at or effective at, you know, being an organizational person within my community. For me, it's been more on this experiential level. But I do believe that the more of us that are allowing these the shift, you know, this experiential dimension of embodied consciousness to come through as more of our fundamental reality, people start seeing it. People start uh, feeling it and people start getting affected by it now i don't know where we started with that question but uh, with this kind of you know what i got to and it, it you know becomes uh, like i say it's deeper and deeper dimensions of the rabbit hole but all the dimensions to us out of suffering into a place that uh, simply feels so much uh, you know better or better use of our human incarnation and, and it actually physically feels better a lot of the pain the suffering the fear start going away yeah i love that by the way as well i'll just jump in a second will because i've got something to say then chris wants to say something as well but before when you were saying before how you made a point you said you haven't been um involved in the sort of um what's the word you said um what's other what's another word for like well, active i haven't been someone who's gone yeah. into precincts and organized and help support people and come on let's get out and for God's sake, wake up and vote for the right person. Yeah, I was just yeah, that's what you said. I couldn't remember it. Like politically, that's what I was going to say. But to a sense, I was actually thinking when you were saying that in my head. I think you have because I think we do a lot of things in life that we don't actually realize. So for me, anyway, with you writing your books and even you just coming on this podcast now, you're actually sprinkling seeds. Like I think we do this in life that we don't realize. Like even if you're at work or something like that, whatever it is you start sprinkling little seeds to people that you don't actually realize are really seeds. So I think even just you, you could have wrote, you wrote a book, you've wrote a lot, a lot of books. And without even knowing it, that you, that book could affect, say, a little, I don't know, just, I just first think in my head, like 11-year-old girl could could read that book and it could affect her mind. But her dad could actually be, in, who her dad could actually like sort of politics and be involved in politics. But then that little girl could actually be in her life. She could be even just at the dinner, dinner table eating something and the dad could maybe turn around to her and say, um, why are you taking your time eating your food? And she just says, oh, I'm just being more, more mindful. Well, why are you being more mindful for? Because, oh, actually, because I read this book by this guy called Will Johnson, who's a very interesting guy, and he was talking about being more mindful everything in life. So I decided to be more mindful when I was eating this sort of jam sandwich. <laughs> and... Um, and then that affects her dad's thinking, and then he he takes that into he takes that into work, and then so on and so on and so on. And I think that's I think that's a beautiful thing. We can spread these little seeds, and without even realizing it, life we are sort of affecting all different realities all over the place. Well, yeah, well, you know, first of all, thank you for that, and yeah, and I 
I, you know, I sense that that's occur- that, that, that is what occurs, and we all have our different ways of doing things. You, you know, you we come back to uh, a recognition or a statement that every action is a political action because everything that you do, uh, you know, affects uh, either you know, the immediate environment that you're in or the people, you know, that you're uh, with. So I've often, you know, thought, because sometimes I know people have asked me about that, that they would say, well, well, isn't it kind of selfish? You know, you're going off and doing these intensive uh, weeks and months of retreat and you have these, you know, extraordinary openings and experiences, but, uh, you know, isn't that ultimately a selfish act? And on the one level it is, but on the other, I think that the most generous thing that we can do is to work on ourselves so that we can become, you know, beacons of this, you know, new, perhaps evolved, you know, this level of time, quality of consciousness. And, uh, you know, look, we all help and impact people in different ways. Well, I completely 100% agree with that statement, by the way. That is that is one of the biggest statements that I think each and every single one of us needs to actually listen to right there and then, where he says it is not a selfish act to actually just focus on yourself. Because No, it's really the most generous thing you can do so that we can be uh, conveyors of more, uh, of more love, of more generosity, of more compassion. And it's not that, you know, we create those out of nothing. The more we do these practices... That's what comes through. That's what's there. And this is what actually makes me actually want to ask this question as well. And it makes me want to ask you, um, Will, how much of like your practice, how much has that like been developed from your own carving out versus being influenced from like Buddhist philosophy? Yeah, it, it, it's an interesting question. I Look, I'm definitely probably looked upon within the Buddhist uh, world as uh, a kind of an outlier. And what I mean by that, I'm someone, uh, yeah, I've had uh, Vipassana teachers and Zen teachers and Vajrayana teachers uh, that I'm very grateful to, but I have never been someone who has formally affiliated myself with any one lineage or tradition in terms of the whole, uh, you know, Buddhist world. I've been more interested in focusing in on the denominator that's common to all the traditions, which is the experience of sitting meditation. Now, uh, uh, you, you know, I got you know I got into sitting practices rather early on, and uh, you know, look at I'll uh, you know I'll say this: I won't pull punches here. I love the Buddhist Dharma. I'm not that. Uh, I don't particularly love the way it's taught in that. You know, more and more, there's more body orientation towards the practices. But one thing that I've seen, the Dharma that's coming over from Asia, inadvertently or whatever, the Buddhist Dharma has painted itself into this corner of frozen stillness. And, you know, when I sit in front of a room or a hall of, you know, Buddhist meditators, the first thing that, you know, strikes my, uh, that I see is that, you know, very good-hearted people, but everybody is sitting there so frozen, stiff and still, as though, you know, we think that the goal of the practice is to become like a stone garden statue of the Buddha. And for me, the introduction of this whole, uh, the whole somatic understanding and world that we want to come back alive so that in, if we truly want to be relaxed in every breath we take, uh, we can surrender to this force of breath 
that actually gets very amoeba-like through the whole body, and the whole body can expand. The whole body can expand and retract back down on every inhalation and exhalation we we take. So, uh, certainly the most radical thing that I know that I'm bringing into the Buddhist uh, conversation is, is this insistence that if we truly are wanting to be relaxed and. Uh, for me, you know, you hear the stories that if someone had one book to take away to the desert island, what they would take. If I had one instruction to take away to a desert island, it would be from the 11th century Tibetan uh, Mahamudra teacher, uh, Tilopa, when he says, do nothing. The whole of meditation is to do nothing with the body but relax. So if we're truly wanting to take that to heart and uh, body, we have to start letting go and relaxing so deeply that with every breath we take, it's almost as though we can feel transmitted motion occur joint to joint throughout the whole body from that inhalation. As I say, like an amoeba, the whole body expands on the inhalation. It uh, retracts back down on the exhalation. And to keep that, that quality of constant, resilient motion uh, occurring, and to the degree that we do that, that, that to me is the extraordinary one that, that can really pop uh, meditation practice wide open. And, and I will share that, you know, in the retreats that I teach, and often the people that come to my retreats are, teach, are people that have been doing this for, you know, quite a long time, 10 years, 20 years, sometimes 30 years. And when they get this, the most common uh, response is a lot of gratitude or sometimes some anger at why, why wasn't this shown to me 30 years ago? Well, you know, I just stumbled onto this and, uh, you know, I feel it's, you know, the, you know, look, we all have gifts to give, right? And this seems to be the, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, the Buddhist world increasingly is going to start, you know, to get to, because I love this process of, you know, sitting meditation. Look, I, li I like a lot of moving, uh, meditations uh, as well but but i you know love this process of playing with the dance of upright balance that allows us to let go and then uh for the relaxation to continue over time the recognition that we have to we have to stay alive we don't want to calcify and become like a stone garden statue of the buddha we want to be alive and to be uh human you know to me this path it's not about becoming spiritually advanced it's becoming uh, ultimately human and you know in in this natural dimension of being human well those are the conditions that are talked about in the spiritual uh, uh, literature so you know it's a bit of both going back to your question yes I've had the benefit and with a lot of gratitude towards uh, teachings but having said that early on I would uh, expose myself to a lot of different uh, teachings, but then I didn't really care much for going to the organized retreats as much as just going into self-retreat myself. So I could go in for longer periods of time, perhaps in just uh, uh, 10 days, and I could also bring more uh, practices into the retreats that I was doing. I would do a lot of yoga, I'd go for runs. Um, you know, one of the practices I brought, a rolfer, uh, would show up uh, every second afternoon and work on my body, and I found that so extraordinary in terms of helping me support, find, you know, finding this embodied shift that the meditation was after, that, you know, now when I, you know, teach in the Dharma world, 
and uh, deep body workers were all first to work on uh, everybody because for me, ultimately a somatic act, you know, ordinarily we think of meditation as something we do and exercise with our mind. I don't view it that way anymore. It's to sit down and breathe. Oh, many years ago, Tricycle Magazine, one of the Buddhist magazines, they put a compendium book together of some of their favorite articles, you know, during that year and the buzz phrase that they had on the cover for Dharma practice was sit down and breathe. Well, sitting down and breathing are somatic actions or somatic gestures. They're not something we do with our minds. I want to see people get good at this dance of sitting down and breathing. And, you know, so many of the people that I work with are people that have, you know, sat through, you know, long retreats. And look, most of us who have done 10-day, 20-day retreats, it can be misery. There's so much pain because we haven't had the benefit of how can we sit in a way that is graceful, that's upright, that's relaxed, that's uh, motile? How can we breathe in a way that we're surrendering to breath? Breath becomes this agent. Breath isn't uh, just an object to observe. So, you know, it's a bit of both. I love the Buddhist Dharma. And I guess, you know, a lot of it, I've also been a bit of a lone wolf and have, uh, you know, developed this, uh, you know, approach to, uh, to the practices. Uh, you know, it's, it's all a mix for sure. Powerful, brother. And I must admit that is a great place to wrap this up with because you really elevated my understanding. We honestly thank you so much for being on this podcast, sir. Oh, listen, I, I enjoyed, uh, you know, talking uh, to you both. And, you know, for me, I just appreciate, uh, you know, having people, you know, hear some of this. And the whole range of what we were talking about, not just about, you know, practices, but our relationship to how do we, how do we exist in a world that has so many wonderful things about it, but so many insane things, uh, you know, going on, all of it. We've, you know, got to, you know, take to heart and do our best. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. I really hope you all enjoyed that one. And if you want to check out more from Will and check out his books and check out his retreats and check out his website, all the links to that are in the show notes at the Ascend podcast website. And Will also kindly did a special Patreon bonus for Patreon members. And basically, Will recorded an incredible guided mindful practice and he called the, the practice re-embodying and becoming human again it's such an amazing mindful practice and that is available to patreon members on the patreon page and if you also want to gain access to that and listen to that all you need to do is sign up for any patreon tier and like i said in the podcast intro in a few days time we are heading to the mind body spirit festival in birmingham and if all goes to plan we'll have some epic in-person podcasts for you all and if any of you do want to meet up with us feel free to reach out of us and also, if you happen to be down there and you see us, feel free to approach us. It'll be so cool to meet you all. So anyway, we'll catch you next week. Keep seeking everyone. Peace.